0: I believe we've used the illustration before, but you've, uh, you've heard of trust falls. Maybe you've experienced uh, the exercise of team building where they have somebody stand uh, um, straight up and with their arms across their chest, and they have their team around them and hopefully quite close around them, and as part of the exercise that you would then, with your eyes closed, fall back and trust that somebody would catch you. You know, all it takes is for one comedian in the bunch. You know, the, the person who might make one too many jokes about not catching. And in, in, in so doing, casting doubt. Or, or maybe there's the person who's distracted. Or the person, for one reason or another, who simply refuses to catch. More than likely, everyone in this room has been dropped by someone before maybe not necessarily in a team building exercise but somewhere in life what is it that is required for trust to take place the easy answer is dependability that is the person dependable can we trust them are they trustworthy are they worthy of our trust we ask questions like will they follow through on what they said? Will they keep my well-being in mind? You know, trust is this kind of uh, perception-based social contract that we continually renegotiate. We, we look at, um, uh, at as, a, as a kind of an account that, that we make these deposits into each other's trust account, and and, and then we make withdrawals from time to time when life doesn't line up according to what we trust. You know, it would be easy if trust were simply simple, and that we could make those deposits quite easily, but trust seems to be a function of a number of things. Often our posture with regard to trust is informed by a complex network of emotions and experiences and expectations and values. Today we're going to look at a piece of the Christmas story that speaks to the trustworthiness of God, the absolute trustworthiness of God. God is one person above all others whom we require We need, we absolutely need to be trustworthy. We know that in Scripture, God calls us, commands us to stake our whole life on Him, to place in Him our hope, to depend on Him for our direction, to receive from Him the meaning of who we are and what life is all about, to rely on Him for empowerment. And to welcome his wisdom into every decision. For that to work, God must be trustworthy. This Sunday is the fourth Sunday in Advent. And during Advent, we have been using the title of the Ultimate Christmas Playlist to guide our conversations each Sunday. Today, we're going to be looking at Simeon's Song of Promise. Simeon's Song of Promise maybe just to set a little bit of context before we read our passage, that this is a story that takes place after Jesus' birth. So, Jesus is is born to uh, Mary and and to Joseph, and and they follow the requirements of the law all the way through. There's a seven-day period followed by the eighth day on which Jesus is circumcised. There's another extended period of 33 days uh, where they're set apart, and they come to the temple for the purification rites. And that's when we pick up the story that that there's these two individuals, actually, Simeon and Anna. Uh, One follows the other, first Simeon and then Anna, and they acknowledge who Jesus is. It's a great way of God fulfilling that, that Connection that there needs to be two witnesses. They function as those two witnesses. Today we'll take a look at the story of Simeon and the song that he sang. So, if you have your Bibles, if you would please open them, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter two, verses twenty-five through thirty-five. Luke two twenty-five through thirty-five. Hear the word of God. to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God show his favor upon us as we come under his word today. We'll uh, cover three things in our conversation today. We'll take a look at promise kept, promise shared, and promise suffered. Promise kept, promise shared, and promise suffered. So first, a promise kept. Okay, so paint is for painting. Food is for eating. Good. Promises are for Keeping. Right. Now, some of us may have been tempted to say, well, promise is there for breaking. That's what I've experienced. But when you make a promise, a promise is intended to be kept, it's expected to be kept. Promises are for keeping. We know through our own personal experience and maybe through the experience of the people that we love, not every promise is kept. We have heard politicians speak before of what they promise that they will do, only to find out that those promises are not followed through on. Of course, we don't have to go as far as finding a politician. We can experience it in our own family, where we hear promises being made and and then promises not followed through on. We experience the very same thing from culture itself, culture coming to a determination of, this is the path, this is the way to go. An easy example is the promise that culture has said about technology. It will make your lives easier and give you more time to relax and take care of yourself. People tend to be broken and fallible. The theological concept behind that is that there is this total depravity that we share in, that that there's a brokenness throughout all of us, a sinfulness that exists in us. And so that even with our best of intentions, each of us has the capacity, even the propensity, to fall short. So as humans, we depend upon things like the ability to repair. You know, there's one marriage expert that says that this is the key concept in uh, um, successful marriages: that this ability to prepare to repair. We, we depend upon second and third and fourth chances. We work at learning the wonderful art of forgiveness. But these things are unnecessary for God. God never needs a second chance. We might need a second chance, but God never needs a second chance. He never needs our forgiveness. God is the promise-keeping God. In our text, we find out that God kept His promise to Simeon, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, makes a promise to one individual in the midst of this whole Christmas drama. He says to Simeon through the Spirit that that there's this promise made that, that Simeon would not depart this world until he had seeing the consolation of Israel, the, the, the coming of the Messiah. God made that promise and God kept that promise. We also find in our text that God kept His promise, His promise to His own people. That here, the, the promise that had been made over, over the uh, centuries of God's people being called God's people, that, that He had said uh, to Abraham, that listen, I'm going to bless you, and your family's going to be blessed, and I'm going to bless them. In fact, through you, all the peoples of the world would be blessed. God is the ultimate promise keeper. There's a story of Abraham. There's a promise to David. God made that promise to David that, listen, that one of your descendants will sit on your throne forever and ever and ever. And so comes the Christ child, the, the promises made through the prophets about the that one day it'll be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace would come. We know from places in Scripture, many places that declare the trustworthiness of God. From Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not man. By the way, this comes from the mouth of Balaam, and we don't have time to explore all of them, but this is an outsider, and, and yet, even Balaam, because of the way God had moved, declares God's trustworthiness, God is not man, not human, that He should lie, or a son of man, that He should change His mind. Has He said, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken, and will He not fulfill it? We find in the New Testament a statement here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And so Simeon, empowered by the Holy Spirit, sees and holds and proclaims. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. For glory to your people Israel. You know, you might be picturing that picture of Rafiki the shaman baboon from the story of Lion King, right? As Simeon holds the baby and proclaims, maybe it's that picture of, of that shaman baboon. By the way, work shaman baboon into your conversation three times this week, all right, would you? <laughs> and Rafiki holds up the uh, Simba, the, 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 the lion, and holds him before the... And I won't try to say the Zulu words or to sing the song, but essentially says... Uh, um, uh, here comes a lion, Father. Here comes a lion. Now, as Christians, especially as kind of a schmaltzy Christian at times, we just love kind of the connections that we find in the rest of the world, and, and we link them back into Jesus. And, and what uh, word that, that Simeon could have said, the lion of Judah, here is the one that God has promised coming to us. So Simeon holds up the Son of God, the Messiah, and not on Pride Rock, but in the temple, the the activity of God's presence. God has kept His promise. Maybe just a quick side note then. You know, it's not unusual for humans in this world to wonder about God's trustworthiness. Sometimes we assign promises to God that God never made to us, Sometimes we assign expectations to God that that are based more on our desires than what God has ever pledged. And we can feel like, God, how trustworthy can you be if the one I love is no longer here with me? How trustworthy you can be if, if my hope and my desire has not been realized in this life? And we're not alone in this. It's a experience that many of us have, that we have set upon God that things that God has not pledged to us. Whenever God makes a promise, God keeps that promise. We find from our text that it's not just a promise kept, but it's a promise shared. You know, right now, uh, um, uh, by your all's uh, presence here, it means that you uh, happen to love Jesus probably more than you love uh, soccer. Um, just, just saying that the World Cup game started at the same time that Josh got up here on the platform and began the service. Uh, and some of you are going, yeah, absolutely. It's not hard to love Jesus more than soccer. And others of you, it's a bit of a challenge. But just as a, j- just as a quick update, uh, do we have an update on the score? In fact, Jim… One, one nil, one nil, Argentina. There you go. All right, so those of you that were anxious, now you can just calm down a little bit. We're, we're okay. You know, the World Cup is a tournament for all peoples. You know, when we have our, uh, uh, our Super Bowl, you know, the, high, the, the best you can ever be in football is to, is to win the Super Bowl, but that's really just for our country. It's limited for our country. When we have the World Series, that's just for uh, teams that are part of Major League Baseball. But if, um, if you're a part of the World Cup, that, that World Cup is made up of people that qualify, teams qualifying all over the, the world as they work their way through the systems to be a part of this big game for all peoples. All peoples is an important phrase and idea in the Bible, whether it's the all-families phrase for Abraham, the God, God's promise to a- a- Abraham, or when we find in Isaiah that God says, or that um, Isaiah says that, about God that He's going to make a feast for all peoples, or late, later that, that God's house is called a house uh, of prayer for all peoples. God is an all-peoples God. And so, in our text, when Simeon sings out that Jesus, this baby, is a light for revelation for the Gentiles, that means that He is a, 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 an open beacon, that there's, this, that there's this awareness that is open now to the Gentiles for all other people to come to God through Jesus Christ, and that He's also then the glory for God's own people, Israel, meaning the the, the fulfillment of what God has been doing throughout all these centuries Maybe you have felt like an outsider at some time. This too may be an illustration I've shared before, but um, this is kind of a, a pathetic experience of feeling like an outsider. So um, just after Christmas this year, there's going to be this huge conference in Indianapolis. It's called the Urbana Conference. It's put on by InterVarsity, and, and there's another, a number of other college ministries that are a part of it. But it's huge, and, and I went to that uh, back in 1984, uh, and at that time, it was held on the campus in Urbana-Champaign. And so there's like 20,000 college students that get together, and we had flown in from LA, got to Chicago Airport, and, and because of ice, storms, and snow, and all kinds of stuff, we were delayed in arriving at the campus. And when we got there, all the beds were taken. All the rooms were given out. Even though we had signed up, In fact, every seat in the auditorium had also been uh, counted for. So they gave us striped armbands. And we were not allowed in the auditorium. Now, that's why I say it's kind of like, really, are you that entitled that you think that just because you got a striped armband, you're left out? But we can have those experiences where we feel left out. Where we feel like we're not included and maybe even here as you come into this room, you're sitting here feeling like you're left out. That this doesn't mean that you're included in what God is offering. But there's a declaration. That in Jesus Christ, this baby that, that Simeon held, it is a light for all people. A light of revelation for all people. And a glory to God's people Israel. In fact, we find an affirmation in Scripture from Paul that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, male nor female, that this, this is a shared experience that God offers salvation through Jesus Christ. Any country can be blinded by their own co-opting of Jesus, where we take Jesus into our culture, and, and then we transform Jesus into the image of what we value in our our culture, and giving them the same skin color as ours, or the same eye color as ours, and, and the same pattern, or the same values that we want to claim, and, and we make Jesus more our own than give ourselves to Jesus that we would be His. But this promise is to be shared for all peoples, that no one nation would own Jesus, but that every nation would come to Jesus God's promise to you in Jesus Christ is God's promise to everyone. Here is your salvation. Which then brings us promise suffered, brings us to promise suffered. You know, it turns out that God-centric good news can bring about division, that God-centric good news especially in the case of Christ, results in division. There was an experience that took place on December 5th of this year at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Maybe you've watched it and paid attention to it in the news that there was that experiment on nuclear fusion, and this was the first time where the experiment resulted in a greater amount of energy than was put into the experiment. And so, here's the long hope that all humanity will benefit from this discovery. That's human-centric news. We, We take some joy in that, and we hope that all humanity will benefit from that. But God's agenda is built around absolute goodness, absolute wisdom, perfect justice, and perfect grace. In God's Uh, universe, which goes beyond what we can see through the James Webb telescope, and God's beyond all things that God has created in a God-centric universe, God's good news actually results in division. How can that work? How can that be? If God is absolute good, how can there be division? We see in the creation that God has the universe that we have, we know that sin came into the world through that original couple, that they chose their way instead of God's way. It was the ultimate ruin of humankind. There then became this necessity for sacrificial offering. God, through His chosen people, set up a system where they could uh, approach God only because God made that way possible for them and set up all the rules and all the conditions. And yet the people couldn't even keep what God had set for them. And so God provided the ultimate sacrifice. He sent his own son in this world to become the sacrifice for our sins. In Jesus Christ, we received the salvation. Yet it turns out that not all will receive Christ. God moves toward us. And we're called to respond to God's initiative. And ultimately, in that relationship, we are dependent upon God to do what God alone can do. God sends Jesus, but not all will welcome him. Simeon put it this way. He said, behold, this is when he was following up with Joseph and Mary. He said, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's a story that Jesus spoke when he was an adult, when he was ministering on this earth. It was a parable. We call it the the parable of the wicked tenants. The story goes a little bit like this, that there was a wealthy man who bought a vineyard and uh, the individual went off to another country and and so he let out the vineyard to some tenants, leased it to them, And as time went along, the the owner of the vineyard sent a servant to go and uh, receive or claim some of the goods from the vineyard. But when the servant got to the vineyard, the tenants beat the person up and gave the person nothing. And so the owner of the vineyard ends up sending two more servants, each in turn. And the tenants did the same to them that they did to the first one. And so then the vineyard owner said, you know, I'm going to send my son. Maybe they'll receive him differently. So the son shows up, and, and the tenants take a look at him. They, they have this, this conclusion. They go, you know what? This is the heir to this vineyard. If we get rid of him, maybe this vineyard can be ours. And so they take the son, and they kill him. So Jesus says he's talking with the people at the time, and And among the people, are the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he says, uh, he applies it. And by the way, by even this time, the people are already making the connection themselves. Jesus asks the question, what then will the owner do? He will destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to another. The people push back. Jesus gave them these words. Quoting from Psalm uh, 118, he said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus would eventually go on to say to his own disciples, he goes, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. there's a division that takes place. There's but one way that God has come toward us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in His arrival is the rise and the fall. That in receiving Jesus and experiencing Jesus, some will rise up and some will fall. There's acceptance and rejection. There is faith and disbelief. A promise that has suffered. Simeon even said to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own heart also. And Maybe even those of us in this world, in this room, have experienced some of that sorrow too as we've looked upon others that we love whose hearts do not seem to yet be aligned with Christ promise suffered. And now here we are. In one week's time, we will wake up on another Christmas morning. In a way, Christmas is a trust fall moment. A trust fall moment. It's more than just family gatherings, trees and decorations, food and feasts, packages and presents. Will we rise Upon Jesus God's promise in Jesus is only partly fulfilled. For one day He will come back, and we wait for His return. Jesus said, "Surely I am coming soon." And in 2 Peter 3:13 we read, "But according to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new Earth in which righteousness dwells. So as we conclude this portion of our service, let me make a couple of recommendations for our disposition. It returns us to the cruciform way of life. The promise kept calls us to that vertical relationship we have with God. That our God is a promise-keeping God. Let God's trustworthiness draw us closer to Him Let us open our hearts and our minds and rise with Christ in response to God's grace. Promise kept. Promise shared. It's the horizontal. It's our relationship with others. Let's let God's trustworthiness send us toward others. As ones who have received the good news of Jesus, let's not keep it to ourselves, It's a promise intended to be shared, and you will be my witnesses to all people. It's a promise suffered, which allows us to live life with eyes wide open. Let God's words of warning prepare us and grant us the stamina and perseverance that living in this world will take for His glory.